Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We're back. It's another episode of Sure It'll Be Grand. That podcast you kind of like, I suppose, where two Irish guys talk about movies and sometimes other things, but mostly movies. I'm here. My name is Owen. Dan is with me. Say, hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. Nice. See, this time I actually copied your yeah, that was reflection cool. as You well. actually did it. That was nice. Yeah. Well done. I'm glad. I'm glad we did. Yeah. We, we got through that moment. Yes. This week... Well, I don't know. How you? What's going on with you? How's things? How's life? Anything cool happened since we last spoke yesterday? Um, no. Uh, oh, all right, that's all. good. That's fine. Let's move on. <laughs> Nothing much going on in my life. I watched Jungle Cruise yesterday. Oh, God. How was that? It's not good. Uh, who would have thought? It, it's not good. I mean, it's not, t- it's not bad. I managed to watch it all. It's, Is it uh, a film? It's just about a movie, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 yeah, very. There's a beginning, in the middle, and the end. There's a some sort of strange plot happening. Uh, it's mostly seem it's just mostly just a Disney theme park exercise. But like, yeah, I don't know. If you want to watch a movie based on a Disneyland ride, just watch Pirates of the Caribbean. I really I don't want to though. It's this is not. It's held. It's kind of the cast keep you interested. Honestly, just because it's The Rock and Emily Blunt, and they're actually quite good together. Yeah. Weirdly, they have good chemistry. It's um, but they're both extremely charismatic. Yeah, and I think that's <laughs> that's mostly it. It's just they're like, yeah, I can watch these two do stuff for two hours, and I don't, you know, the villain so, is is a, a a intense German caricature. Okay, um, <laughs> he's like the son it, of Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> does it have sequel bait? Um. Yes, sort of. Oh God! Not, we'll have I mean, not like. These, aren't we? There's no like. There's not like a post credits <laughs> thing or anything where they're like, "Ooh, this." They're not like. They don't specifically set up a sequel, but the characters are still. Johnny Depp walks into a bar. <laughs> oh, I might. I like taking to this. You probably will do a tie in there at some point. <laughs> they're not set in the same times though, so it would be odd. It would be like undead Captain Jack. He gets the black pearl back oh, and he's like immortal. It'll just be something. something that I don't in, know. Yeah, it's all they've on. all they also both did. I think because Jungle Cruise is about the Fountain of Youth. They did that in. See, I thought this too. Yeah. The fourth Pirates of the Caribbean is about the Fountain of Youth, isn't it? I think so. I'm pretty sure. So I don't know if it's the same Fountain of Youth. They don't look the same, and I don't think they're in the same place because Pirates of the Caribbean is in the Caribbean, and this is set in the Amazon rainforest. But you know, anyway. How big is the Caribbean? It's just the islands, isn't it? It's the, Car- the yeah. Caribbean. It, I do, like, Brazil is not considered the Caribbean, I'll say that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe they maybe they were in Brazil in the fourth parts and I didn't realise. Anyway, we're not doing Jungle Cruise this week. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're actually going way back. Way back, Dan. I think this it's is a, the... It's a thematic prequel to... Um, some, would say, some would say that uh, Jungle Cruise learned a lot. From this movie, others would say they didn't. What the at hell all. are you on about? Yeah, <laughs> go away from me. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I could. No, I'm not going to spend 
this podcast drawing comparisons between the works of Alfred Hitchcock and Disney's Jungle Cruise. You know it's illegal if you don't call it Disney's Jungle Cruise, by the way. Oh, you have to say um, I don't know. Anyways, let's stop talking about Jungle Cruise. This week, we're doing... <laughs> what we're doing is we're going all the way back to 1954. Well, 55 when it was released here I in Ireland. I sure remember it well. But 54, I think this is the oldest movie we've done on the show. I'm pretty sure we haven't gone yeah. further back than the 80s. We're going to have to start out doing each other every month or so. We're going to yeah, do like season three. I'm just going to do... <coughs> Train enters the station, like the Lumiere yeah. Brothers clip. Oh uh, no, we have to Metropolis sometime. Well, that's a movie, but yeah, Lumiere Brothers but, is older. We so th- yeah, we're doing Rear Window is the name of the movie, and if anybody's not familiar with it, then you fuck you. How dare you? No, this is, <laughs> no, no. I'll tell you a little bit about. Let's let's go through a little bit about Rear Window. Okay, so it is a Hitchcock movie. It is from Sir Alfred of the Hitchcock. Um, who yes. everybody knows. Who's English, did you know? He's English, yeah. yes. He he was yeah. born born and raised in London, uh, an Englishman yeah. by birth. He got American citizenship later in his life, but he is an Englishman, yes. He knighted by the Queen before he died. Way to go. Uh, yeah, it's a Hitchcock film. It's uh, I guess it's not the most famous Hitchcock film. I personally think it's the best, but of course people who don't know, or everybody knows Hitchcock, or they know the term Hitchcockian, movies that's how big of a deal he is in cinema yeah his other he's you know you've got vertigo and psycho and north by northwest and all those other movies are all big deals for anybody who's seen a movie even once i guess (laughs) hitchcock's a big deal he directed this uh and it stars i mean it stars you know take your pick the biggest names in classic golden era hollywood james jimmy stewart Fucking we know and love. love. We both know and love. Oh, we talked about him briefly. genuinely, like no joke. And just I, I think he might be my favorite actor of all time. To be honest, really, that yeah, I, yeah. I really adore him. Yeah. He's just it's just the most genuine acting ever. Yeah, he's a cool guy. We talked about him briefly. I think when we did our Christmas thing because we were talking about it's a wonderful yeah. life. But he's in this uh, alongside him is Grace Kelly, uh, another superstar titan of. Classic Hollywood princess. Well, she wasn't a princess when she made this, but she became a princess later on. Grace Kelly. Wendell Corey is also here. Telma, Dan tells me it's pronounced Rita. I think it's Rita. No, Telma Rita, whatever. And Raymond Burr, who um, I think maybe maybe people will know. I don't know. He was Perry Mason. If anybody yes. remembers the TV show Perry Mason from the fifties, he was a big deal in Hollywood in general, though. <laughs> yeah, he was a big guy. He did. I mean, he did like all. He was in a Godzilla movie and stuff in like years ago, um, yeah. and he did all the Perry Mason stuff, which I know because Ozzy Osbourne, I think, did a song called Perry Mason. Anyway, that's not got to do with anything. Rear Window, nineteen fifty four. It was also written by John Michael Hayes, who collaborated on a lot of Hitchcock's movies, and it's based on. This movie, Rear Window, rather, is based on a short story by a man named Cornell Woolrich. And the short story was uh, called It Has to It Had to Be Murder. And of course, uh a small episode from The Simpsons. You stole uh, my bit. Sorry. No, it's fine. Yes, it is. <laughs> if anybody wants to know the plot of it, if you've seen the episode of The Simpsons where Bart breaks his leg and spends the whole episode sitting in his room watching people through a telescope, it's that's where they got yeah. that's where the Simpsons they got it from this. Uh, yeah, Ray Winder was full of um, Jimmy Stewart being really annoyed at people being in a swimming pool when he can't be. That's actually that's the whole the most, movie. That's, yeah. yeah, that's how the murder starts. Yeah. 
Jimmy he it's Jimmy, actually Jimmy Stewart's Stewart like, the murderer oh, in this movie. Out there in swimming pool. Uh, yeah, that's Rear Windows. This is one instance, I think, where it's safe to say The Simpsons did not do it first. Yeah. Rear Windows. There's plenty of other instances, but that was that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's, that's, that's the ins and outs of it. That's the basics of Rear Window. Let's, uh, let's see what the hell is going on here. What the hell is going on here in Rear Window? So, like we said, it's that episode of The Simpsons, but it's more than that. I mean, it's not. that's not, you know... They took the basics of it because it is Jimmy Stewart who plays L.B. Jeffries. Jeff, who is a photographer slash war veteran, who yeah. uh, has broken his leg. We don't know really how it happened or what. Must be on. a high break. It's like it's near his hip. Oh, it's it's a bad break. Whatever happened, yeah, it's, yeah. he's he's in a full leg cast that's wrapped yeah. around his his hips and stuff. Like he can't walk yeah. at all. He just sits in a chair all day. He's stuck in his apartment. There's a heat wave, which I'm now kicking myself that. If if things had aligned better, we could have released this during the heat wave that Harlan just had and been like, hey, heat wave yeah. movie. We but missed like by a week. We missed it. We just like, yeah, if we'd swapped the schedule around somehow, yeah. we would have gotten out our heat wave movie in rear window. But it, but it, it's that. it's So it's LB Jeffries, Jimmy Stewart, and he's broken his leg. He's stuck in his apartment and he's a, he's a photographer, a, a renowned photographer, um, we're told in the movie. And he's he's gone out with, with Grace Kelly. Um and they live in sort of, kind of, sort of. They're like together, but she wants to marry him, and he doesn't want to marry her because she's like, "You, you don't belong in my life, um, Lisa." Um, I think her name Some is actually. Some people Le- for I think, the life yeah, I have. I think it's. I think her name is actually Lisa, but Jimmy Stewart says Lisa all the time. That's how he pronounces it. But uh, yeah, so they're they're hanging out. He's stuck in his apartment. He lives in like a. It, it's in Manhattan. It's it's a fictional place. It's supposed to be in Greenwich Village in Manhattan, but it's based on another place, um, looks wise. And he's just he's watching all his because back in those days we didn't have YouTube or the internet or TV really. Yeah, he had nothing. All he's just sitting at his window watching all of his neighbors across the courtyard. They're all in like big high rise. Mostly watching the ballet dancer. He's mostly watching Madame Torso, the ballet dancer. Yeah. Yes, that's that's true. <laughs> he watches her a bit. Yes, um, yeah. even Grace Kelly watches her. So fair play to her. But oh, yeah, he's fair. just he's, uh, yeah. he's just watching all his neighbors, and he begins to suspect that one of his across the courtyard neighbors, Thorwald, has murdered his wife, and. Cut her up. Cut her up into pieces and put her in a suitcase and, like, scattered her remains around the city. Or at least some of her in a flower bed at the bottom of the courtyard. Which is very weird. Why would you just so close to the house? Yeah, I don't know why he'd leave just one one little piece of her in the courtyard. But I think, actually, I think what was in the courtyard was the wedding ring. I think. And he, like, got it afterwards. But anyway, the... So that's that's the plot. That's the basic plot of it. Um, And it kind of just... It proceeds from there into sort of a, a half like paranoid delusion sort of thing, and half like sleuthy detective trying to figure shit out kind yeah. of stuff, and a whole lot of voyeurism. People <laughs> just watching. A lot of it, yeah. yeah. Well, again, like people say, "Oh my god, it's disgusting." But like, first of all, like, like we as a people understand what pandemics are like now, where you're stuck in your house, looking outside, you're bored. Now you don't have television, you have no internet. And there's a heat wave, and everyone has the windows open. I guarantee you, there is not a, anyone who's listened to this podcast and says they wouldn't look around at least at 
through some of the windows is a dirty, filthy liar. See, look, sorry, they are. Here, see, the, the thing is, right, I live in the countryside. I don't yeah. have... It would be a lot stranger if I was looking in my yeah. neighbor's windows because I'd have to walk into their garden and stand at the window to watch them. Yeah. Like it's not, but this is a high-rise apartment block. You can just sit at your window and what else are you going to look at? Yeah. You're just looking out at yeah. the world. Um, but it is, it's a case of like Hitchcock knows, he, he understands uh, certain aspects of the human condition. And one of them is voyeurism. And it, I think it's demonstrated in this film. He knows, he doesn't know just about making movies he knows about watching them too because there's yeah. so much of this that's in in the hands of a lesser filmmaker i suppose it could be just considered well there's nothing happening this is just boring yeah, it'd be boring because yeah, it yeah. is just lb jeffrey's jimmy stewart's pov of just looking at people a lot of the time it's just the camera moving around this apartment block and <laughs> you're just seeing couples arguing or a man playing the piano or hitchcock himself in one of his famous cameos just tuning a clock for some reason is that what you call God, it? Ma- that's not a ch- job that doesn't exist anymore, does it? No. Do you tune? Is professional that clock tuner. Is that what it's called? Do you tune a clock? Do you set I a clock? Know. I don't know. He's doing so. He's moving the hands on the clock and setting the time for just just his cameo, which he did in every movie. Um, but yeah, it's. Oh, you had never seen this before. No. Uh, had you were have you seen other Hitchcocks? I have. Yeah, it, this is gonna sound very sort of um, ignorant, but. I do have a harder time watching older movies a lot of times, pacing-wise and sort of what they focus on. Don't treat me, but like um, Hitchcock always has been kind of an exception, um, especially with like movies like Vertigo and Psycho. Like he, like he was very much the master of like tension, suspense, and like that feeds well into what interests me in movies. So, but yeah, yeah, so I haven't watched this movie, but um, I've never shied away from watching Hitchcock, even though I would probably for a lot of other directors of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I there, there it's a different thing. Yeah. In fairness, like sitting down to watch a movie from the forties or fifties, like this is, it is a different yeah. experience. To, it's cinema has changed yeah. so much in terms of yeah. even, and, and I don't mean just like from a filmmaking point of view obviously we have much more, like more fabulous technology now that we can do different things but like just from how the how stories that they were telling yeah. and the, the the even just visual storytelling and stuff yeah. like that which is one thing that Hitchcock was like big into and it's like cuz he started making silent movies in the like 20s and 30s i think he he made um forgive me cuz i can't remember the name of it but he made the first talkie in british cinema was yeah. an Alfred Hitchcock movie, um, but what a lot what happened in that era was when talkies came around and suddenly you had sound and the actors could say things to the audience. A lot of directors and a lot of like studio productions stopped using visual storytelling in a sense. Like the silent movies they had to be that's all it, they had, yeah. but now they didn't have to, so they could just have somebody say something. Um, yeah, whereas Hitchcock didn't. Hitchcock was like, no, why? That's the the image is the movie it's that's you're here to look at it i'm not just going to have somebody tell you things which is a kind of a just an interesting facet of hitchcock films as well i suppose he's big into that like yeah and i mean thinking now like i'm thinking rare window if you just took the voices away and just had a few lines being said once in a while as you do in silent movies like written text 
the movie wouldn't change a lot. No, there's not a lot of no. To be fair, I think the script in this is quite good. There's a lot of good dialogue and stuff in it that happens. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Like, it's not. It's the dialogue is not. I won't say necessary, but it like you know it isn't the main thing. You're not here to have Jimmy Stewart tell you what's happening. You can see it for yourself. You're as much yeah. You, you we as the audience are as much sitting in this Manhattan apartment complex watching these things happen as the characters are are yeah. in the movie. We're seeing what they're seeing, and we're part of it in that sense, which is yeah. which is great. Cool. And it hasn't been replicated. They've tried. People have tried to make movies like, specifically, I don't mean just Hitchcock movies. Obviously, people are trying to replicate Hitchcock all the time. But there's been movies that are like, like Rear Window, in a sense. There was one, I remember, was it called Suspiria? It came out, it was like, um, uh, what's the guy? What's, uh, Shia LaBeouf was in it, and it was the same Boof. Shia LaBeouf. The, from Transformers and all those things was was in it and I think it was kind of a similar plot but it went into this weird like I'm losing I'm going insane I've lost my mind kind mm. of stuff um, but it was clearly like took a lot of inspiration from from this um, I would say though t- to me of all of uh, now obviously I haven't seen every Hitchcock movie he made like fucking 600 he didn't even made like 50 something movies or whatever but I, of the ones I've seen this is different to me than Say your psycho, or even North by Northwest is quite different as well. But this, it feels it's clearly Hitchcock, like is a master of storytelling. He knows exactly mm. what he's what he's trying to do, and he knows exactly how to do it. But this isn't as I would say, like it's not. If you want, people talk about the term like Hitchcockian and like thriller and suspense and that sort of stuff. Mm. D- there's suspense in this, but it's not like the super taut tension of your like psycho or something like it's a kind of a yeah. different kind of it's more of a quieter it's more suspension of what's happened what's actually happening and how the character perceives what's happening because like you said there is that whole paranoia like could all of this be nonsense especially near the end of the movie where his girlfriend climbs into the house and like tries to find something there's still an element of this could be fake this could all just be a weird misunderstanding like yeah, yeah, because you don't know. He, you, he, it might all be in, in Jeff's head, at throughout, at throughout, until right until the very end when it's like revealed. And the reveal isn't like a big reveal; it just sort of happens, kind of, yeah, off screen almost. The detective is just like, yeah, he admitted it, but it's right up until that point. It could still be just Jeff has maybe he's been cooped up a little too long, and the heat is getting to him, and he's seeing things that yeah. aren't really there. He's like, he's trying to make what he's seeing more interesting to him somehow. Um, but the, but that's, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just love this movie. It's just so good. Honestly, it's so rare that we, I mean, we watch a lot of like movies that we enjoy on this show. Yeah. But I think, I really think this is the first time I've sat, we, I tell you how good it was. We didn't speak for most of it. We really didn't. No. Uh, that never happens. Like there was obviously oh, a couple we, of times, but we my mostly. My main was like, why would you put a dog in a basket and let it down a the, building? We just sat, and it's it's <laughs> we just sat there for the whole runtime, mostly just watching it. Like, yeah, because we watch. We've said it before. We watch before prior to the recording. We watch every movie that we're talking about, and we watch them together. Um, yeah. And then generally we mostly spent the whole movie like riffing on it and just kind of like making jokes and talking about Limbus random stuff. Fallen, and, for example. Yeah, I mean. Oh, we didn't yeah, do a lot of watching there. No, like a lot of movies. But this time we both just sat here and watched it. Yeah. We were mostly in just 
sitting in silent, and every once in a while, one of us goes, "God, this is good." Yeah, this is just really good. <laughs> like, the, like the thing was like four or five times. I was like, whether it's nothing was said, I was like, "That's a really good shot." Yeah, you're just like, "Oh, that's that looks really nice, doesn't it? That's cool. Yeah. That's really interesting." You see the reflection in the monocrus there. It's really nice. Yeah, it's really. It's, did he? God, Hitchcock was good, wasn't he? <laughs> the only thing I think I had was like. Yeah, this is weirdly recolored. The hair is a bit weird at the beginning. Yeah, well, so that was the next <laughs> point because you you said it to me. I think within under a minute of the movie opening, <laughs> Dan went, "Was this shot in black and white?" And I thought it was as well. To be fair, I just I had yeah. it in my head. I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure Rear Window was originally in black and white." It wasn't. What happened was, so it was shot in color, shot on film. Obviously, everything was shot in film back in those days. And then, so what they would do then was they have you have your negatives the the original shot film yeah. negatives of the film and then you would make like you make transfer prints of those that would be and then you'd like basically reprint the movie from the transfers rather than from the original negatives so to kind of preserve the negatives um mm. and that's what would be sent out to like the theaters or whatever that were showing them for some reason with Rear Window, they didn't do a transfer. They just like repeatedly reprinted it off of the original negative and the negatives got like badly damaged and a lot of the color in particular, the yellow color dyes like faded out of them. So in, I think it wasn't until like the 90s at some point, they did like a full Technicolor remaster sort of thing where they yeah. like fixed all the colors and added the colors back and made it a Technicolor, um, which is why it does look, it, it's it gets better. It's better in some scenes, and it's. I mean, it doesn't yeah. look bad. It, but it's clearly you look at it and go, "Oh, the yeah. color is kind of interesting." The hair. Usually, anyone who has has grayish hair is literally just a block of gray hair. There's no transition between the face and the hair at all. Uh, if you yeah. ever did any recoloring, <laughs> it's like the, like it's what your first ten or so pictures look like because you're like, well, you color the skin and you either leave the hair or you don't. But it's very obvious. But again, like throughout it like sometimes it's perfect and then other times see and like you said the yellows are washed out you can really see because they added the yellows back in but only one single hue of yellow so all the faces look like they've been sunbathing in front of chernobyl for the last 50 odd years mm, yeah because, but look it, it's again it's actually not bad bad but there's certain scenes where you go oh okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it's like it's interesting to me as well to think that like for probably for thirty or so years, people people I well first of all people couldn't see Rear Window. That was the big thing. It came out in the fifties, and then Hitchcock like at some point I don't know it was in the sixties at some point, Hitchcock bought all of his movies back. So this he he every like a bunch of them that had been released in big studios in America. America? America. Oh, good old America. <laughs> I think Vertigo was one of them as well. He bought back the rights to the movies and he wouldn't let anybody watch them. He was just like, no, they're mine. You can't have them. Except I think Rear Window aired. So for 30 odd years until it was, until I think his his daughter like gave Universal the rights to release them on like DVD and stuff. Nobody had seen Rear Window. It wasn't looked at. You saw it when it came out yeah. in the 50s and then it was gone. It was part of what they call Hitchcock's lost movies because nobody could see them. Apart from one time in like 1971, I, I think NBC or somebody just put Rear Window on TV, but they didn't have the rights to do it. They, it was illegal. They just were like, fuck, I wanna, I'm putting this on TV. Yeah. You just did it. So if you saw it then, maybe you got to see it. But even back then, it wasn't. It would have been the degraded, like a print from the original negative. You wouldn't have seen the recolor. So it would have looked weird. 
and like the probably would have been a lot of artifacts happening in it and it would have been like it's an odd thing but it's odd to think that like this is like rear window is rightly in my opinion considered one of the greatest movies ever made it's it's uh i think at one point it knocked citizen kane off the number one spot in that ifi list that it's which is over sitting on uh, for like since what? forever but uh <laughs> but yeah but <laughs> rear window was number one for a while i think i think i think i think citizen kane is back now well, i'm sure it is it's citizen kane and yeah, so, like, people hadn't seen it. That's so weird to me that, like, there was a bunch of movies that now are, like, us sitting here today, clearly, we know, oh, yeah, Vertigo, Rear Window, North by Northwest, those are, like, Hitchcock's big three, I would say. Well, Psycho. They're, like, the big four. They're, like, four of them all considered some of the greatest movies of all time. But for 30-odd years, nobody had seen them. Hmm. It was kind of like a, a myth thing that it was just like, oh, yeah... Trust me, Hitchcock. I mean, trust me. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm known to like try and put Doctor Who into everything in everyday life, but it does kind of seem very familiar to what happened with Doctor Who. Um, so, if you're talking about classic Doctor Who in the 1960s, um, you know, they would show a, a story of Doctor Who. And then it would go into storage. And they were made to be basically seen once on TV, and that's it. And you moved on. Um, unlike Hitchcock, um, they started like overriding these tapes or burning these tapes because storage for tape is expensive. So you actually love like classic Doctor Who is missing, and you only find random copies once in a while in like Africa or India or something where they were sent to be shown in those countries but it it, it it was similar to that there were like Doctor Who episodes that no one had seen for decades that was suddenly then brought back on VHS and DVD when they suddenly realized oh people actually want to watch the old stuff again so it, it, I don't know it's just it's, there's a bit of a uh, relation there I think yeah it's a, it's a similar situation uh, definitely but also, just to correct myself <laughs> previously, the Shia LaBeouf movie is called Disturbia. Ah. Sorry, Sus- Suspiria is a horror movie. It's a different thing altogether, I think. <laughs> and Wisteria is a lane. Wisteria lane, yeah. Desperate Housewives um, was, <laughs> Hitchcock was Alfred movie. Hitchcock's last work before he died. No, it wasn't. He, died he actually found a script hidden away somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, this was supposed to be his big, his life's work was Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Yeah. Which you know, when you think about it, the plot of Desperate Housewives, not it's based not, in that kind not of super far yeah. removed from Rear Window. No, it's it's not kind of removed from that like weird nineteen fifties sixties disturbed suburbia. But it's about a murder yeah. as well that they all the neighbors like suspect somebody of murder and stuff, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, that's what this true. Yeah. The plot of Desperate Housewives, at least season one, and I know later like a plane crashes into the. House what? and stuff. Yeah, in like season three or four or something, I think a, a like a plane crashes into somebody's house. And on purpose? No, maybe I don't know. I okay, possibly right. I don't know. But it, yeah, that happens. I think maybe they were going for like a lost crossover or something at the time. Who knows? Or a Coronation Street. Who crossover. knows? Let us know if you want us to do Desperate Housewives <laughs> week by week. I will say no, but you can let us know. <laughs> comment, uh. comment below for our Desperate Housewives review. So let's talk about the cast then. Okay. Let's 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 because they are they're a big they're a big deal. So we have we've, 
James, I, 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 I was expecting you to say there is a cast. There uh, is one. We have, there is <laughs> much like other Hitchcock films of the year. It has a cast. Some of yeah, them actually, very, this, some of the same cast that he uses in a lot of other movies. Now, Car- Cary Grant is not in this one, but James Stewart is, who did three movies, I think, with Hitchcock. Um, he did. Um, he did Rope as well. Um, oh, I'm missing. I'm forgetting one. I know he he did Rope and he did this movie and something else. Just vert- Vertigo. Was a vertical? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he's in he's in vertical, which is after this. It was in nineteen fifty eight. But yeah, James Jimerton, Jimmy Stewart. Like I don't know. Can we, this is the hard thing I think about doing like a classic movie like this. Is I I sometimes feel like, what can I say that hasn't already been said about this kind of movie or about Hitchcock or about James Stewart? But he's. I know something we can say, but no one has talked about it all that much. His last movie was in 1991, and it was an American tape, Five Old Ghost West. He plays the old detective uh, sheriff in town. Yeah, he does. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And you thought we didn't have anything to talk about. There you... I didn't know. I knew we had stuff to talk about. My brain is just not working very well this afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he must have said Five Old Ghost West. Why? Yeah, well, interesting point, because maybe that's maybe a movie we're going to do on the show. I... Yeah, maybe. Teaser for you. Who knows when it's going to happen, but we might yeah. we might do that one. Um, uh, clearly, I had it planned. That's why I did it. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, You'll find that every yes. movie we've uh, reviewed this season and the rest is going to have something to do with Jimmy Stewart. That's mm. the secret that people have yet to figure out. Well, we've told them now, but... Um, ah, but they have to figure out how Olympus has fallen in relation to... Yeah, figure that Jimmy one out. Stewart. You know, I think you could probably do like a six degrees of separation, like every movie could be connected to Jimmy Stewart somehow. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't be funny. Huh? Yeah, let's do it as a joke. And we go over every movie and there's like, oh, it's just, it's one degree. It's directly related to Jimmy Stewart in some way. Instead of going like, I'm going to do that. going now. on? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to check every movie we've ever done and I will find a connection to Jimmy Stewart somehow. <laughs> Artemis Fowl, the, the lost episode. Jimmy Stewart. Based on the life of Jimmy Stewart as a child. That's exactly yeah. what it was. He grew up as a rich Irish child hunting fairies. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in his biography. <laughs> yeah, and he used to love surfing really hard on the beach. You yeah. Know? yeah. But James Stewart, imagine? yeah, I mean, he's, gr- he's so good in this. He, he, like, he's good in everything, to be fair, but it's like... Jenny, there's nothing he's not good in. He's always good. Uh, Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, I, like... I haven't seen a lot of Grace Kelly, but like watching this, you get it. Yeah, I get why you just that is the very first time she walks into Jeff L B Jeffrey's apartment in this, and she's wearing that fancy dress, and you see Jimmy Stewart look at her, and it's instant. You're just sitting there going, "Oh yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, th- there's a reason why she's Grace Kelly. There's a reason why she's." thought of so fondly and why so many people loved her and why she married yeah. a, why she married a prince and became a princess you it's, I'll be honest, you, like she had, obviously she had her grace uh but like one thing i found watching this entire movie was keeping think about jimmy stewart's character going like marry her what's wrong with you stop being an idiot marry her why yeah. would you go bro marry i'm like i'm not one for being oh you know you should still chase your dreams and all that kind of stuff like dude she's better than you dream Marry her. Yeah, you're not going to find anybody better than this. Like, Jesus yeah. Christ, Jimmy. It's Grace <laughs> Kelly. 
I know you, yeah. he's not thinking, Jeff is not thinking that in the movie. He's not looking at her going, my God, it's Grace Kelly. What am I doing? But like, at the same time, where, what are you, his, because his reasoning for it is just like, oh, well, I, I can't stay here. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, I can't be cooped up. I can't be cooped up. I got to get out there. I got to put a lasso around the moon and bring it down for you. And that kind of shtick. And he's like, oh, you're, you like fancy clothes and going to balls and parties and blah, blah, blah. You won't. Have you ever parachuted out of an airplane? Have you ever been driven over by a car? Yeah. He says that one stage, have have you? I think so, yeah. have you ever shot a man and watched the life fade from his eyes as you choked him out, Laser? Grace Kelly goes, yes. Well, yes, I have. <laughs> I do oh. it every, that's my weekend. What do you think I do when I'm not here with you in this apartment? He just looks over across the apartment and her killing everyone instead. That's the real reveal at the end of the movie is actually yeah. that Lisa Fremont was just murdering everybody around the apartment block. God. Speaking of the apartment block, there it is. There's the other thing that I wanted to bring up. The set. The set for this is outrageously well put together. Like it's yeah. it's it's incredible how much work went into this. And it was a I was reading a little bit about this the other day. It was a team of uh, 50 workers and it took them 2 or 3 months to build this set just to build the whole thing and interestingly they actually they went to manhattan and they were like because it's based on well it's supposed to be set in greenwich village but the actual set is was built to look like a different area Mm. like a neighborhood in uh, a different part of manhattan uh, over near like sixth avenue or something but um they went there and they were like why don't we just film it on here in manhattan and hitchcock was like nah because honestly i think if he had shot it in a real like not on a set in a sound stage he wouldn't have had the control that he needed yeah. on everything because they, they like they built the whole it's not like they just like like a gladiator situation where they build like a little bit of it and then they like make it look like it's mm-hmm. like the whole thing is there they built the whole fucking thing they took over a whole like big warehouse in california or wherever it was and it to the point where the the ceiling of the studio they were in wasn't tall enough to accommodate the height of the set that hitchcock wanted to build so he took out the floor because there was a basement to the building and he was like, well, we can't take off the roof because I need the roof. So just take out the floor. They removed the entire like floor of the building so that they could go down. So the, like the courtyard scenes, that's like the basement of the, the building mm-hmm. that they're in. And they built like a whole, they developed a new, uh, things that we have now that we just take for granted, like the cameras in that, I'm using a comic book movie reference, the comic that Sam Raimi used to film the Spider-Man swinging around New York scenes. They were yeah. more or less kind of started with Rear Window because the cinematographer and Hitchcock made this new, like, fancy wire dolly system so that the camera could just move between all the buildings for all those shots yeah. where it's just, like, sliding down and looking at in everybody's windows bit by bit. They made they just made that. They built... It took them, like, a month to rig the lighting because they put... It, they didn't change it. They let they built up this massive lighting rig placed all around the set, and they left it there at all times. And it was, it was able to switch the set from night to day. So they they just like at the obviously it wasn't just a flick of a switch, but the, <laughs> the gaffer could just like use the same lighting rig for the whole set to make yeah. it look both like night and day in the same place. They just like turn on more lights to make it look like night and add their like color effects or whatever and then use the same lights to make it look like night which is crazy how much work went into it but it pays off man 
Like it's. I know so... it sounds daft. Like one of my favorite parts of that set is the alleyway out onto the road, because it's just like it. It's such a. It just feels real, and I think that's the point. Because I think if you just had that closed off or you couldn't see onto the street, it would just feel like a stage, a very elaborate big stage. But that little gap onto the street where you can see the bar from across the street, the cars driving by, random people walking back and forth, people sitting in the bar, suddenly the place was part of a bigger world. Yeah, definitely. And it's like at different times of the day when the camera lens looks down that alley, there's different people in the bar. If it's the daytime, there's more cars driving past. You hear the the noises of of the city outside and stuff. (coughs) And it seems like a simple, it seems like such a small thing to include in movies, but it just, it's just everything, every single piece of this movie is put together so brilliantly and elaborately. Hmm. And they easily could have just had the bar across the street, just a dark window so you couldn't see anyone in there and just have a bar written up there. And you could have one person walking up and down. And I've, I've seen it in older movies, they have just one of two of the same actors just walking up and down constantly wearing different jackets or something like that it's obvious that it's just like one extra oh yeah they just, they just have him he'll walk from one like right to left and then change his jacket and turn around and walk the other way exactly yeah yeah it's really it's very obvious but no this this felt real no this but that's is... this as well like even all of the the extras and stuff in the movie were picked out by hitchcock like he yeah. didn't, he won't, because he's he's that kind of person. I mean, it takes. We all, I think I've said this before. It takes uh, somebody who is slightly insane to be this good at something. In particular, yeah. like when it comes to directors, like Kubrick was a, a, an asshole. Well, yeah, like he was. Yeah, Hitchcock wasn't known for being funny and stuff. Now, apparently, him and Jimmy Stewart got on really well. Um, first, I don't know what it was. They d- apparently there's stories from the set, like Telma Rita has said that like they just worked really well together like it wasn't like they, she said it was a weird relationship because they weren't like friendly they didn't like joke around or like hang out outside the set but something when they were filming together just clicked and they just got it and Jimmy Stewart apparently was like one of the only people on in particular during this movie and Vertigo as well that wasn't afraid to like argue with Hitchcock he would tell him like no I'm not doing that or he'd tell him if he thought something was stupid or they should do it a different way or whatever and Hitchcock of course would always win because he's Hitchcock but like yeah. apparently they just they just worked really well together, so that's probably a reason as well why Hitchcock want, worked with him multiple times, and same I suppose with Cary Grant, um, and he wanted Grace Kelly back too. Uh, he really because Hitchcock has a thing for blonde bombshells that he likes to put in yeah. movies, and he wanted Grace Kelly to do. I think she did two movies with him, and he wanted her to do a bunch more like in the sixties. But at that point, she was a was the princess of Monaco and had retired from filmmaking, and he couldn't convince her to do even just one more. Um, but it's so yeah. but there are things as well I've heard like a story uh, that so there's a scene in this um, where do you know the scene where it starts raining in the middle of the night and there's a couple like they're sleeping on their the fire escape like on the little balcony yeah because it's so hot they've brought the mattress outside they're sleeping outdoors but it starts raining in the middle of the night and they um they were like in a panic like trying to pick up the mattress and get it back in the window apparently <laughs> that was done in one single take which is yeah. Hitchcock is known for doing multiple takes of everything to get it perfect. He did one take for this, and what he did to get it that way was he gave both actors different directions. 
he told oh, he told he told the man that his stage direction was to pick up the mattress and bring it in the left window and he told the woman that she was to pick up the mattress and bring it in the other window. So that's why the two of them, they pick up the mattress and start like arguing over it a little bit because they're both trying to move it opposite directions. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. eventually and like, they, what are you doing? Yeah, like, eventually they like figure it out in a panic and get inside. And that was Hitchcock told them both to do, move the opposite ways without telling the other that it was supposed to happen. So yeah. they both thought they were doing the right thing. And it worked so well. He did one take and that was it. It was done. He said, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, which is cool, little things like that. Now, Telma Ritter called it a prank. Then it, apparently everyone was laughing at them and stuff. But like, I don't, I don't know if you call it. Seems it just clever, seems like, like in, incredibly clever directing yeah. to me, more so than a prank. Um, yeah. But Jesus, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how much more I have left to say about Rear Window, but let's move on, I suppose. What what do we do next? A Jay's moment, I think we have to do. The Jay's moment, that's it, yeah. This is, do you have one for this? I do. Okay, hit me with it. Uh, the ballerina taking her top off and leaning over. Because that was a lot more sexually charged than I thought the 1950s would do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, see this is, there's been, there has been a lot of stuff written about this in that there is a, what some would call an issue in Rear Window with the male gaze. In that it's it's clearly i mean it makes sense to me it is a man looking at the world so it would be the yeah, it case, sense. but yeah, yeah. that it's kind of like it's odd it's an odd choice that they keep repeatedly going back to her she's not like you know there they do it with other characters there is there's the woman downstairs with the sleeping pills and then there's the the guy on the piano that's like comes home drunk and stuff but they it's like every time they go back to madam torso she happens to be in her underwear and doing odd things. I don't know. It's uh, people have it, it. It is a thing that people have like. I can see what people are coming from. And just yeah. been like it, it's like you know, not that it's an issue, but it is clearly a movie made from that point of view. Yeah, but to be fair, in that case, it is literally the male case, like you were saying. Like it's actually physically male yeah it is it is and yeah. it, but it is it because that's it is that's the movie the movie is a main a man's gaze at the world yeah <laughs> i think um i think for me it's uh there's a scene where um uh, wendell Corey's character uh detective tom who is uh yeah. he's jeffrey's old war buddy or whatever so jeff calls him to be like yeah i think this man across the road murdered his wife and cut her up and Tom is, like, dismissive of the whole thing. He's like, no, I spoke to him. I went to the train station. He, She's gone a train. She's gone to visit her family, blah, blah, blah. And um, at one point, Tom comes back. And th- at this point, so initially, nobody believes Jeff when he says this. Like, even, like, Grace Kelly is like, oh, Jeff, you stop looking out that window. And tell Marita, who plays his nurse, is kind of the same. He's like, you're, you've lo- you're losing your mind. Like, what are you talking about? But he manages to convince them that clearly this man is up has done something. Um, so him and Lisa call Tom back over. And Tom, it's weird because to me, it's the only instance of this in the movie where Tom is Tom dismisses the whole thing at this point because it's a woman telling him. Yeah. And he goes on this whole weird thing where he's like, oh, you know how much time I've wasted following around so-called female intuition and female int- doesn't exist and then kind of like tells Grace Kelly, oh, go in there and fix us a drink honey and this kind of stuff yeah. <laughs> but it's the reaction from jeff 
who kind of it doesn't say anything, but the two of them just kind of look at him, and he's he's just like, oh, I guess I'll leave then. And it's it's it was interesting, I think, because you said this um, when we were watching it as well. That it's I don't know if it was odd for the fifties, but all of Jeff's support and confidence and his his like detective team. If the if this was an Ocean's Eleven movie, the team that he puts together to solve yeah. the case or whatever, they're all women. Everybody, they're all yeah. female, and he doesn't. Jeff is at no point dismissive of anything that they have to say just because they are women. Mm. But this no. this detective Tom guy is, and it's played as a bad thing in the movie too. Which is interesting to me for like a film of a film of that era to be like, yeah. this guy is clearly an asshole in this instance. He's not like it's not like everybody in the movie is just like, oh, Lisa, you just you're just you're too pretty to think kind of thing, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff like. So I think that was nice. That was a nice little, um, a little yeah. Like I thought the movie was actually quite progressive in some ways. Like, cause it also showed you some ugly truths of humanity as well. Um, maybe I'm I, I'm reading too much into it from modern viewing, but I reread the uh, Piano Man. I know a bachelor playing music. Those are kind of the tropes and stereotype of maybe a gay man that would appear at the time. You saw a woman who yearned for affection as well, and was by herself. Like this sounds weird but it was like the entire neighborhood was made of uh, up of outball oddballs but or the you know outsiders in some way like the people that kind of be swept under the carpet and like the only ones who weren't were you know actually the young married couple that moved in close to uh, Jimmy Stewart's place and even them you start seeing the husband going downstairs to the woman who wants, you know, some romantic interest and all this kind of stuff. It just, it, it seemed almost like the veneer of what it's like to be a proper American and a proper person and, you know, a nice stable household in the 1950s with the heat wave with all the windows being open. It was a reveal. It's like things aren't as normal and flat as you might think they are. Mm, yeah. The American dream yeah. falls apart when people can't see you. Yeah, or can see you. <laughs> yeah, well, because but yeah. they don't because they don't know they're yeah. being watched. I think is the yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like but that's that's kind of my point. Like they, there was some stereotypes they were definitely going for. For example, the the ballet ballet dance. You can say what you want. Obviously, she was cheating on her boyfriend or fiance or whoever. By the end of the movie, we find out that she was waiting for someone to come back, but in a way, here was a woman who was kind of like open with her sexuality and taking what she wanted and like using it to her advantage. Well, well, well here's like, the thing. Know. She never cheated on him. She just snogged that fell outside well, on the balcony. See, he kissed her and then she and made, she, she, made, she was kind of like, oh, stop. And then like made him go back inside. And then like the next time we see her, she's coming home and she's like refusing. To, she won't let him into the apartment. He's like trying oh, to fair enough. Okay, like, yeah, no. fair. She like slams the yeah. door in his face, and you can see yeah. this relief that it's it's almost like it's like a socialite kind of thing that like she has all these like all this male attention and stuff because of her job and because yeah. of what she looks like. But and she and it's how she yeah that's she popular, she yeah, entertain yeah. she has to entertain. Yeah, so it's even more progressive because, in that way. Yeah. Like she is actually in charge of it. Like she's not giving anything she doesn't wants away. Like you know. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, 
And again, maybe I'm reading too much in the piano man, but I definitely was getting that vibe. That's the the show's kinda of, the movie was kinda of hinting at that. But even that, you know, a bachelor, even at the time, a bachelor of a certain age was the thing that seemed strange at the time. Like, why aren't they getting married, you know? Yeah, true. Jimmy Stewart was what age did we discover in this? Forty something. Uh, Forty five or something like that. Yeah. He looks he looks older to be fair to him. He does, yeah. He he but, he, uh, he definitely looks more than mid fifties yeah. then. That's mid forties. That's what the war does to a man. Yeah. Alright, let's do some final thoughts. Yes, Mr. Frodo. It's over now. Where do you, in ter- in terms of Hitchcock and the movies of his you've seen, where do you place this? I can't. I can't place it anywhere. Mostly because it's the kind of movie that I'd love to have a series of movies like that, that I would just watch every single day, because they're very passive viewing as well. If that makes sense. It's, it's not an event to watch this. It's more of a a study, sit back and relax kind of viewing. Whereas the other ones, I think, are not action-based, but, you know, 100% engagement is necessary. And, like, this is going to happen. You have to pay attention because bigger things are going to happen. Whereas this is, like, a bit of nice, mild psychology and sitting down and I wonder what's going on here. Yeah, I, I, it's, this is, Rear Window is my personal favourite of the Hitchcocks yeah. that I've seen. It's great. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, not I'm not trying to be dismissive of any of his other but it is to me like I said earlier it is it is different. It's a different, Very different. type of yeah, like yeah, what yeah. what you would associate with Hitchcock. And I think maybe that's yeah. why I like it. I don't know. It's just um yeah, it is such a a deep kind of like it's just a deep set voyeuristic view of like a microsphere of the world yeah that you're just you are essentially you feel like you're so in the movie you are in this manhattan apartment block what you are watching these people you don't yeah. know a lot of their names and you don't know who they you are you may as well be the person in the room that no one's acknowledging that's the thing yeah, like yeah. Um, but you we don't know most of their names we don't really no. know like a lot of specific details about them but from the like four or five brief little cameo looks that we get throughout the course of the movie that there's so much that we can piece together about them that we can know about their even just what we were talking about earlier about about the ballerina the ballet dancer there's so much that we we ourselves have put together in this thing and that's a lot of i think what the movie is is about as well is 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 how we look at people it's the act of looking and the act of everything that goes along with seeing other people and looking at them and judging them almost to an extent but it's not so much about the judging it's more about the act of watching yeah people how watching, we yeah. see people um which is just i just think the whole thing is fascinating yeah to be honest and that's rear window that is rear window we yeah. did it our first i have a question quick sure. question yeah what if it didn't end up not being a murder would the movie have changed much for you if if there was no murder and jeff if it was just actually made it up in his head yeah, um, not really. No, I don't. It's, the movie's still there, isn't for it? For like, me, not honestly, like the murder and that whole thing is not really what draws me into the movie. That's no. kind of that's it's it's the plot, I suppose. It's kind of like the hook of like how you the studio like yeah. It's I mean, about I think a murder, most like, of it. Most I of, think for most of it, it's just him 
the, the appeal is to him when his visitors coming in and saying, "Hey, what do you think of this?" Because I saw this. What do yeah, you? Yeah, it's that. It's that. Like, it's an appeal to that basic like gossipy nature in everybody. Yeah, as well, that yeah, you yeah. Just, like, we can't help but like think, "Oh, did you hear about Mrs. Murphy down the road and her blah blah?" This kind of yeah. thing. And it's um, yeah. So I don't think so. I don't know if it would matter all that much if Jeff, if you the guy I don't hadn't think it killed make it better. anybody. Yeah, it's not like it's it, just not the. It's not the thing about the movie that I like. It's not this weird little murder mystery type scenario. Yeah. It's it's everything else. Yeah. Where's Rear Window? That's our first delve into classic Hollywood, I think. Maybe we'll do more. Who knows? This is a, it's a little bit different for us to not talk about a big dumb popcorn flick. <laughs> but we did it. I'm glad we did it. Hopefully, um, if you guys like it, we'll do more classic cinema. Um, we'll go back and do, I don't know, maybe we'll do Citizen Kane someday. Yeah, so let us know if you want to see us do more movies like this. I'd be happy to. I, think. I, I really want to do it after this because I felt that we could actually talk about because don't get me wrong, I like our stupid popcorn movies. I really do. But a lot of times we joke about tropes and weird things we know in the movie and it, like, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, but it's nice getting into a, a movie that had a lot of put in. And makes you reflect on things, you mm. know. Yeah, it's different. It's a diff. I think this episode is, has been different, to be honest. Mm. I don't know even. Uh, I think I made one joke, maybe. I have to get them all yeah. out of me. I have to just vomit jokes now. <laughs> well, I think we might have the <laughs> perfect movie next week. Well, what are we doing next week, Dan? Short Circuit Two. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're doing a sequel rather than the first one. Right. Um, I chose this because it, it's a childhood mo- movie for me. I I adore this film. I oh yeah. No, I I don't know how to. Ex- it's just literally like child bubbles bubbling up from you, you know, from your chest. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. Um, it's a great comedy. Some really great practical effects. Uh, it's usually when the sequel is better than first movie and that's quite rare i haven't seen either of them okay ever be interesting. I don't to be honest you don't need them. to watch the first one because i watched the second one when i was a kid before i watched the first one well i hadn't planned on watching the first one to be yeah. honest <laughs> yeah, i think the episode we'll will be more fun if i haven't seen the first one yeah i mean to be honest it gets explained very quickly away what's happening but yeah, there's been talked about Short Circuit 3 for a while, but I don't know. We'll get into that on our Short Circuit 2 episode next week. So, Short Circuit 2 coming yeah. a bit of a departure from this week, but this was a departure from everything else. So, I hope you guys yeah. enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget, leave a like, comment, subscribe, all that juicy stuff. Media. Tweet at us, email us, do all those groovy things. Go into our Facebook, comment there. Yeah, so, and that's that for this week. Thank you very much for indulging me in me wanting to talk about one of my favourite movies. So, um, we will see you guys next week. Well, we'll see you Friday for the news stuff, and then we'll see you back next week Mm. for Short Circuit 2. Love you, bye. Astrolog.